Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. This is episode 54 and it was recorded on Thursday, October the 13th, 2022. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm the president and CEO at Betrayal Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. For those of you who might be wondering, yes, it has been a while since we last posted a podcast. More than a year, in fact. With all that went on during the pandemic, we ended up putting Brain Trust Philanthropy on hiatus. We are so happy to be back. We hope you are as well. We are back with a bang. We were joined by Adam Pekarski, founding partner and executive recruiter at Pekarski & Co. And Michelle Berg, chief visionary officer and HR partner at Elevated. Our topic, the great resignation. Is it real? Is it a blip? And why is it so hard to recruit and retain talent right now? The Great Resignation is an ongoing economic trend where employees have voluntarily resigned from their jobs en masse. Beginning in early 2021 in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, this trend continues today in many industries and sectors across, including across the nonprofit sector. Join us as we talk about this trend and what it means when recruiting, retaining, and attracting great staff. All this and more on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. It's time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast. Welcome to episode 54 of Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. This is our second episode of our sixth season. Our topic, the great resignation. Is it real? Is it a blip? And why is it so hard to recruit and retain talent right now? We've invited two leading thought leaders and human resources practitioners to join us today. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Calgary, we have Michelle Berg. Michelle is the Chief Visionary Officer and HR Partner at Elevated. Elevated is a human resources agency focused on helping businesses and organizations transform their HR practices without blowing their budget. I love your corporate tagline, Michelle, work shouldn't suck. And you are right, it shouldn't, but more about that later. I first met Michelle when, at the suggestion of a few of our team members, we invited her to visit our team at Betrayal to talk about current practices, issues, and innovation in HR. Yes, I did say innovation and human resources in the same sentence. Michelle, you were so great with our team, and they still talk about that session, so thank you again. Michelle, sorry about that. We're going to dive more directly into our topic in a few minutes. But before we do that, I see that in addition to all of your other many talents, you are also a committed lifelong learner. Your bio says that you're currently pursuing a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm curious, what what inspired that journey and how is it going? Uh, So it's going. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure, you know, on what planet I was when I thought that going through a pandemic, being a mom of, uh, at the time when I started of a six-year-old running a business and starting a master's degree was smart uh, by any stretch. So I'll say it's going. Um, But I think uh, you know, what inspired it mostly was the fact that we've never seen mental health, like uh, the issues that came up in the workplace, like we did when the pandemic first started. And I felt completely unequipped. Um, and then on top of that, I was having my own mental health issues. Uh, and one of the things that I really noticed, though, when I was trying to see- seek out a practitioner was on the intake forms, you always had to be there for a reason. Like you couldn't be there to just be proactive with your mental health. It was, you must be suffering from something. And I thought that there was like a massive disconnect with that. So I wanted to understand what they taught. I wanted to understand how they, um, how they approach it from a counselor perspective. And I wanted to be able to bring some of those tools and tricks back into our practice when handling issues ourselves. 
Um, and there's a whole lot more in that, but it, it really was just this opportunity for me to go. Um, again, I think I can disrupt this area as well. I want to disrupt this area and I want to do more than just talk about it. Uh, I want to actually be able to do something. And so, yeah, started my master's degree and I, I, I'm almost done. Um, and then what ends up happening is uh, we have to go through a pretty big practicum in order to become a, a registered psychologist. And, and we'll see how that, how that, that, that will be a new journey in itself. Um, but I'm so thankful. Um, for the opportunity. And my husband has been a massive supporter. And so here we are. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And and uh, I was going to ask what you were thinking, but you asked yourself that question. And, um, and I'm so I'm not surprised at all that you decided that that was a gap in your in, in the space you're in, and this is how you were going to address it. So congratulations. And and we look forward to hearing uh, uh, you you and your graduation work. So fantastic. Thank um, thanks for sharing that. I, I know you've been on many podcasts. So welcome again. And thank you for, for joining us on Brain Trust Philanthropy. Thank you. Next, also joining us from Calgary, we have Adam Pekarski. Adam is the founding partner and an executive recruiter at Pekarski & Co. Pekarski & Co. is an award-winning, independently owned and operated executive search and leadership advisory firm with offices in Calgary and Toronto. Adam, I also love your double entendre of a tagline. Pekarski & Co.'s tagline is, we know people. It makes me smile every time I read it, and I, I mean that in a, a very positive way um, about how that works. Um, what I love most about the work that I do is I often get the chance to work with and alongside amazing volunteers. In addition to running an executive search firm in what must be one of the craziest economic and recruitment environments in a generation, Adam is also helping us lead the fundraising for Camp for YMC Calgary's Camp Chief Hector campaign. Adam, thank you again for that. Adam, I can't wait to hear more about what talent recruitment looks like and feels like right now, but just before that, some of our listeners might know that you're also trained as a lawyer. What inspired you to move from practicing law to executive recruitment and leadership development? Uh, thanks, Vince. I, I appreciate being here and um, thanks for your question. I, I guess the answer, simply put, is I wasn't very good at practicing law. And, uh, and the reason had nothing to do with um, aptitude. It had everything to do with attitude and passion. And um, I tell everyone I meet, I tell my own kids, I tell myself that the key to, um, I think, career fulfillment is chase the passion, not the money. Because if you chase the passion, uh, chances are you'll be good at it because you love doing it. And if if you're good at it, the money will follow. It'll find you. Um, if you do that in reverse, it usually doesn't work out so great, uh, which is to say if you if you go for the money, and then you try to figure out whether you're good at it. And then you try to figure out if you're passionate about it. By, the, by that point, sometimes it's it's too late. And so for me, I mean, I always say I, I went to law school because I wasn't great at math. Um, uh, but there was a little more to it than that. My dad was a, a lawyer. His dad was a lawyer. I was a, a third generation um, attendee at the University of Alberta Faculty of Law. And you sort of just find yourself getting swept up in it and you, before you know it you've gotten a summer job an articling job you've been kept on at your firm and your third year associate and 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 it's made me a much more empathetic recruiter because i i understand that journey and waking up one day going wait a sec i i don't i don't even think i like this very much and if i don't like it then i can't possibly be be as good at it as i need to be um to justify what I'm getting paid to do it, to be a good service provider to my client. And so um, <clears throat> recruiting, which kind of found me, uh, I, it was just instantly, I was just an absolute, um, I loved it and I, and, and, and I was good at it. And, and uh, uh, I remember my very first day on my recruitment job, uh, might've been day two, um, I started on actually September 11th, 2001. That's another story. 
Yeah. Um, so there was that couple day delay. Um, and when I started, I remember saying to my boss at the time, who's a dear friend of mine all these years later, I've, you know, I've got good news and bad news. The, the bad news is um, there's, there's no, no paper trail. There's nothing in the system because I don't quite know how it works yet. But the good news is I think I closed my first deal. And she laughed and she's like, don't worry about it. You just keep doing that and we'll, we'll take care of the rest. So uh, thus launched my, my recruitment c- career. And then, um, yeah, started this firm in 09 and, and here we are. That's a great story. Um, I appreciate you sharing that, um, that passion versus what you think, you know, everyone wants you to do or following in the footsteps of, of your family members. So um, I think we can all relate to that. Uh, we can also mostly all relate to what we were doing in September 11th. So thanks for sharing that. Um, and again, um, Adam, thanks for that. I know that you, like Michelle, are no stranger to podcasts. In fact, you started one, the Ampersand Unplugged at Pekarski & Co. in March 2021. Congratulations on that. So welcome thank and thank you for visiting with us today. Okay. Absolute pleasure. Happy to be here. We're, I am thrilled uh, and, and only mildly intimidated. Um, uh, okay, let's get started. Thank you for joining us on this, our 54th podcast. Today's topic, the great resignation, is it, is it real? Is it a blip? And, and why is it so hard to recruit and retain talent right now? If you've not heard this term, the great resignation, sometimes called the big quit or the great reshuffle, it's an ongoing economic trend where employees have voluntarily resigned from their jobs en masse. This began in early 2021 in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the most cited reasons for resigning include uh, wage stagnation amid rising costs of living, limited opportunities for career advancement, hostile work environments, lack of benefits, inflexible remote work policies, and long-lasting job dissatisfaction. Um, All really quite charming aspects of work, I'm sure. Um, While this trend has been most pronounced in hospitality, healthcare, and education, we've seen it across many other industries and sectors, including across the nonprofit sector. Alongside this trend has also been coincident trends like quiet quitting, Quiet quitting is not quitting your job, but instead quiet quitting is all doing exactly what the job requires, no more, no less. Uh, Clearly not enough passion there, I guess. Um, It's a new phrase for an old mindset. Employees, fueled by a renewed sense of personal agency and self-worth, are refocusing on two things, balancing and avoiding burnout. People are reevaluating their lives and the amount of control work has over them and vice versa. Adam, I'm wondering if we can start with you. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And you know, you can you can tear apart what I just opened with as well. So let's start with you. Um, yeah, thanks, Vince. And I, I I I certainly think that all of the reasons you you listed off there, and there are likely more, um, are are part of what's feeding this idea of of the Great Resignation. I mean, I think. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of this in our work and at, at the risk of sort of sounding a bit corny, um, people had, uh, I think when COVID hit, it created a, a sort of existential moment where for the first time in certainly our lifetimes as, as members of the workforce, we were forced to, to pause. And we didn't like it. It was uncomfortable, especially if you're a business owner. Um, but we, we were, we were forced to be at home in the quiet without the commute, without the hustle and the bustle and the, all of the things, the trappings of, of, of our, of our, of our jobs and our lives. And that led to reflection. And that reflection was happening in an, in a terribly uncertain and, and frightening environment. We were worried about our, our, our parents and our grandparents, and we were worried about our kids' mental health and schooling and our own futures, and everything was upside down. And I, and I think all of that fueled this outlook on work as, what am I doing this for? It, it, and we hear that question all the time pre-COVID, you know, geez, what am I doing? My job's a six out of 10. Is there something better out there? But, but 
that's transactional. That's that's a tactical kind of a motivator. I'm talking like existential, strategic, heavy duty stuff, which is what am I doing? Is 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 it all worth it? Um, and 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 if you had the means and you had the ability to to take a pause and you know run away and join the circus, this really was that opportunity. And unlike so many years prior to COVID, you know, the circus actually looked pretty good and people actually ran away and joined it. Um, now the question is, will they stay? Will they come back? Uh, we can get into that, I'm sure. But I think it is real. I mean, you asked a very open-ended question, so so I'll take it in, you know, I'll give you an open-ended answer. Um, it, it is real. And, and I think the, the big, big, challenge and opportunity is that as I look at you two, and I know the podcast is audio, but as I look at you two on, on this screen, it's totally democratic. Each of the three boxes on this screen are the exact same size and, and they're flat. They're one dimensional. And if you extrapolate that into a, into the workplace, if I'm doing all of my meetings, I work at a 200 person, let's say organization, and all of my meetings are now in this flat, democratic, equal setup. Where's the intangible? Where's the cultural glue that brought me downtown to work with these colleagues every day? It's, it's not there. Um, it's become a bit more artificial. And so the, the bonds have become a little more tenuous. And that's another factor that feeds that, that, that feeds what we're seeing in the recruitment marketplace, which is I can go to a different organization, do something completely different, or maybe do the same thing at a different organization, and it's still going to look exactly like this. Um, and so there's all kinds of stuff to unpack, but uh, that would be, you know, I don't want to occupy more time than I already have. So I'll, I'll pause there just as a kind of an opening reaction to your, your, your question. Well, I've heard lots of descriptions uh, about uh, the wh what happened and 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 potentially the why. Um, I love the way that you articulated, it, though, Adam, as putting. <laughs> we had time to maybe we had time for the first time to sit back and yeah. think more deeply about this, which I think is really an interesting observation. Michelle, I'm curious on your thoughts um, as you sort of set the table for us on. Um, you know, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are your thoughts about this entire, uh, you know, idea? So I actually don't think that the great resignation is real. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw some statistics are from the uh, Department of Labor, actually, and I was watching, I was watching what has happened since 2009 until now. And I don't think that this is a pandemic-driven anomaly. I don't think um, that this is any, any more abnormal. What I will say is since 2009 till now, we're seeing more and more. But I don't think it is a one-time event thing. We are seeing more and more. And I think that's just how, at, at the end of the day, that's how things have transformed and transpired and and all those things that you spoke about Adam people are now getting to question more than ever and i think because of the advent of social media you know if john can leave i can leave too you know like i i see it as that um and in fact i think why we're feeling it so much more though right now and this is what i will say is pandemic driven um is that people didn't leave in 2020 like that, because people were scared. No one had any idea of what was going to happen next. And so stability. So we do see from 2019 to 2020, it actually, um, uh, resignations dropped. But now twice as many people are going to leave as soon as they feel safe to do so. So it feels like something is bigger or greater. But the truth is people are just thinking about it differently, talking about it differently. And again, yeah, feeling maybe a little bit more less risk adverse, you know, willing to to take a look at them themselves and their lives. And I think that's just that's been an evolution of the workforce in general. Um, so I don't think that the great resignation is real, but what I think is is that players need to start taking stock of the fact that 
loyalty and staying in a single job, that's not important anymore to people. People want experiences. People want to make a difference. Um, and the other side is, you know, um, inflation is another really good example of perhaps why people are maybe looking because it's the only way that they can make more. 3% increases or on average 3% increases or one and a half to three, let's say, um, just aren't cutting it. And so the way for me to go out and make more is to actually go to another job. Um, but again, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's all, I don't, I don't see this as a, as a one-time thing. I don't, I, and actually now with the great quit and all those other things, I just think, yeah, people have, people have an opportunity to rethink and reevaluate, but society has given us permission to finally do that. And I don't see this as a trend. This is, this is, this is what we've got to live with now and employers need to respond. That's uh. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I would just say if, if the great resignation isn't real, where the hell are all the people? Because it is different now. Um, if you've, let's look at the tourism and hospitality sector. Let's and look so let, at, actually, let's talk about that. But I do think in, in your exactly where you're going, industry specific, let's talk about certain things for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So go well, there. And there are other industries beyond tourism and hospitality. I can think of professional services where the, the most of these law firms and accounting firms, PR firms, they're very top heavy. They have more partners than associates. They don't have the leverage that is the, the whole raison d'etre of these firms. But, but back to hospitality and retail, you know, I've never seen a summer like I saw. We spend a lot of time down in Fernie, small town in southeastern BC. Restaurants closed, limited hours. Um, and I'm talking Starbucks. I'm talking Tim Hortons, a Tim Hortons drive through that is closed on a Sunday at between 3 and 7 p.m. or on a when, when everyone's passing by it for a long highway drive closed. Why? Couldn't find anyone to work there. I didn't see that in. 19, 18, 17, 08, 03, 95, 87, never. So something happened. All these people have gone somewhere. So what do you want to call it? The Great Resignation? Okay. It's kind of a weird name. I've just read a McKinsey article. They call it the Great Attrition. But (laughs) something happened. Well, sure. So one is our borders were still closed. And so a lot of those, Fernie, Banff, you know, all those areas... They depend on immigration. They depend on those on those uh, visas that that to but the borders to are open again, and the people are still gone. So the big thing for me, and I saw it firsthand. I um, uh, was in a restaurant <clears throat> and happened. I, I was just gonna go grab a drink, and turned out I ended up meeting someone. And I probably shouldn't publicly state what his name is when I get to the end of this, but I'm sure you can just bleep it out. So it happens to be. Um, Iron Mike. So Mike Keenan. And uh, I, I chat him up and we have a great dinner. He's lovely, despite what, you know, the way that I've seen him in the past. He's a great conversationalist. I, I have a great conversation with his wife as well. And the next day they invite me out for dinner. So we go out for dinner um, to this restaurant that he had heard great things about. And we get there. We don't have a reservation, but the restaurant is closed because they cannot handle the amount of people that have come in. And he goes, are you effing kidding me? He just goes off the handle. Um, are you effing kidding me? This is, does nobody want to work anymore? Like, what is going on? And he loses his mind. And I remember thinking, well, one, how do I get out of this date now? Because this is completely embarrassing. (laughs) Um, But on the flip side of it, it was like, that's why people are no longer here. Because people have have lost uh, how to talk to people. Like the understanding of humanity. The fact that these are all the like frontline workers like this don't want to be treated like this anymore. So maybe it's the great resignation. Maybe it's the great attrition. Again, I don't see it as this thing. I think it's on because it's going to be ongoing. People have finally realized boundaries for themselves. I don't want to work a crappy job for less than $20 an hour. I don't want to have to take that because people aren't nice anymore. People don't 
they've lost this. And maybe in his case, that's always who he was. But I've seen that in many, many different instances where people are blaming frontline staff for the people who are showing up the the way that they treat them. Again, I don't want to work in that either. And with the gig economy being what it is right now and being able to do what you need to do, if I have a, I'm still working. (laughs) So it's not like I've disappeared. And I think that's, but I'm just choosing what's right for me. And again, I think this is an evolution, not necessarily a blip or a thing. And we're giving it a big name. It's getting a lot of, I don't know, scaring a lot of employers, I guess, but it should like we have, we, that's, we're going to, we're going to come back to the, um, the, 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 the larger conversation about um, uh, how do we actually attract and retain and, and, and recruit staff in an environment that seems very challenging because i think that's one of the outcomes that we're seeing no matter what the cause um and so there's some really interesting things that we can get back to i really appreciate the perspectives that both of you bring to this and i think uh uh, one of my my colleagues says i think we're actually in radical agreement um around a lot of this conversation the 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 pandemic some people talk about it as being a sparking event on something that was already happening um, and so that was kind of, it gave the time for the pause, as Anna mentioned, um, but it also was a trend, a, a train that was already rolling. Um, the other thing that was interesting, and we can circle back to, and I want to, Adam, I know you have some things to add to this. I don't want to cut you off. Um, but um, is, uh, you know, the, just the practicalities of the hospitality. I worked in the hospitality for 10 years. If, if in the middle of that, I'm not able to work, which they were, when the restaurants were closed, I wasn't able to work. You need to do something else. And when you're doing something else, then it's sometimes hard to come back to what you were doing before, just practically speaking, right? Whether it's better or worse, you've got another job. Uh, and, 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 and so moving on. And I do know that that field is not historically well-treated as are the same, the people who checking our groceries that became essential workers, you know, and you looked at the, you know, that they worked through quote unquote disease ridden times. Uh, and I quickly realized that they were doing an important job that I really never thought about. So I think there's really interesting things that have become more pronounced. Um, I actually prefer the word, the great reshuffle, because I think not everyone left the workforce, but people did change jobs and did different things. So, Adam, you were going to say something to add on to that. No, I, I totally agree. I, I I think there's this uh, confluence of of events with, with with social media. With I mean, at, at the at the risk of getting us into some sort of political trouble here, uh, you know, I I I I blame almost all of the world's um, modern day problems squarely uh, put them at the feet of Donald Trump because he, he, he created an environment where it was okay to gaslight and to get people and, and to, to be insulting and to go out in, in onto social media and do things that were, you know, unpresidential. He broke the, and a lot of people love that about him, but I think the trickle down effect at, at its dark, in its darkest, um, iteration is what we're seeing in terms of, uh, racist behavior and what we're seeing in terms of what was once always there. It's like a metaphor for what we're talking about. It was always there, but now there's a, it's been, it's been validated. There's a light that's being shown upon it and there's a, a certain v- weird, validity to what was once not that long ago completely outlandish uh opinion or view or things you just wouldn't say uh publicly so i think when you when you add the 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 catalyst of social media and and the sort of permission structures that have been put in place frontline workers um get the brunt of that because it's okay it's more okay now we think to do that and so from an employer perspective, touch wood, I haven't had anyone resign during the great resignation. And, and if it's been ongoing for two years, not one person has left my team. Why? Because we're just trying that much harder than we always have done to be respectful, to be inclusive, to be flexible, to allow individuality 
and to ask people how they're doing and how they're feeling. And you have to be that much more intentional about it and not take it for granted. And that's a good thing. So maybe we're all in, what did you call it? Uh, you know, um, uh, violent agreement. But I, I, I think the, the, he said separate. radical. Violent is a bit much. <laughs> radical ra- radical we'll, we'll agreement. We'll get there, Rochelle. Don't worry. We'll get to violent uh, agreement soon. I, I do think that what we're going to see is a, a, a there's going to be a separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the employers who understand the new style of leadership, and it's driven from a position of empathy, and it's, it, it's not a top-down, do-as-I-say kind of command structure because I said so. Uh, that's just not that's not leadership. That's there's there's that's not compelling. And people will absolutely leave that if they're not feeling respected by their colleagues or by their customer. I don't care what industry you're in. Um, and, and then there's going to be the others who stubbornly carry on as though nothing has changed and they're just going to lose people. And that's where maybe the great resignation will exist, but it hasn't, it's not existing within my four walls. Nor, nor mine, but, uh, but it is existing in my sector. Um, my sector was always the, the nonprofit sector has always had, um, certain challenges just because of the way the sector works. It's, 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 it doesn't pay well across most of the sector. It, it has a lot of those challenges built into it that you, that I talked about there. Um, but, and so you had challenges prior to the pandemic, but with the pandemic, it's, it has definitely become even more of a challenge. It's one of the reasons I, I mentioned, uh, you know, in the, in the pre-show with Michelle, I mean, um, our agency has doubled in the last uh, year and a half. And that's, that's because the sector is not able to keep up on the talent acquisition and we're filling in some of the gaps. Right. And so that's really interesting perspective around that. Michelle, what are you, you know, like based on some of the things that we've just sort of ping ponged around, is there anything you want to use to, to sort of close out some of that or add some new things? Yeah. To and actually, I think that that's really interesting too. So about a third of our clients happen to be nonprofits um, as well. And we certainly are seeing attrition, definitely. And it's again, any of, uh, any of our nonprofits that tend to have more frontline staff, same thing. Um, you know, they, they would say this job doesn't pay a lot, but what we get to do is a lot. But again, it's the treatment back that they're receiving, especially if they're interacting with individuals. I don't know. Maybe the thing that happened during the pandemic as well is that people just lost human decency and they just feel like yeah. they can just talk well, to people. Well, like Adam said, uh, we had leaders, not just Trump, but Trump was leading the band um, yeah. uh, that, that, that made very commonplace a lack of human decency yeah. and gave permission yeah. to that. And, it, and it, the, the leadership does work. You know, we, we do model leadership behavior and, 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 and when we have our highest form of leaders doing that, I think it's a real problem. And that just made things even more challenging in some workplaces that had that borderline. True. But in the nonprofits, what we're seeing in the exit interviews when people are leaving is leadership doesn't pay the bills. And, you know, that's the other side of yeah, this. Too. You're talking about the, are you talking about pay, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, pay, yeah. Pay for the sure. Nonprofits now because it's not keeping up. Nonprofits can't keep up with inflation. You know, we've got several several clients that they um, their frontline workers have to drive across the city, and they don't have the funding to pay for the additional costs in gas right now. And so it's actually costing them to go to work because those are the rules. That's the other side of it. Those are the rules where they can't stay at home. Exactly. And those are the roles where they can't they can't work behind a computer. They're actually physically working with people. And so then they can't do their job if their children are sick or, you know, all these other things. And so then again, now their pay is even more um, uh, decreased. And so we're just we're, we're seeing that. But again, um, is it the great resignation or or again, is this just the path that we're on right now? And and again, these are the questions and the things that people are are seeing post pandemic and they're making changes in their lives 
that's that is the reality. But leadership doesn't, you know, the same thing as we see nonprofits tend to go to more vacation time or more time off. That's one of the ways that they kind of address compensation. But the same thing, vacation time doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't it doesn't help me in my life. And again, what the average nonprofit worker, especially frontline, it's not it's it's not a livable wage right now. And so we see them looking for other opportunities despite purpose, yeah. despite leadership, all those other things. Yeah. And we are now in violent agreement because, um, you know, I, I was just before this podcast, I was on a board uh, HR and governance committee meeting of a board I'm on. And we were talking about this exact issue. Well, we're the management team said, um, well, we're giving we're giving more flexibility uh, to our people, and 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 the problem is that you know that's a par, that's not a birdie. Like they expect that flexibility. That's that's kind of a that's table stakes. You don't you don't get you don't get to take a bow for saying to your people, it, you know, it's okay. You can you can work from home today. It's like, well, yeah, I was going to anyway, <laughs> or uh, I'm going to give you an extra few days off. Or because you're right, Michelle, those things don't pay the bills. And there's only so much juice you can squeeze out of that lemon uh, when it comes to paying your people, especially in the not-for-profit sector. And and we do a lot of work in that, in that space as well. And um, we're seeing huge competitive pressure. Uh, and, and if you get into an arms race with things like retention bonuses, you're just going to get outspent by, mm-hmm. by the the, the the buyer, and this is, you know, fundamentally what my day job is all about is whatever that retention bonus is, there's a signing bonus on the other end that's going to be a dollar more. And, and you're just, it's just going to be a race to the bottom. So it's, it's definitely a challenging time. Before we get to what we might think are our way out of some of these challenges or things we can think about um, um, that might mitigate some of these challenges. I I appreciate Michelle that you talked about frontline workers in the nonprofit sector, and I'm glad that you did because that is definitely the the state that we're in, the 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 mindset that we're in with how we're approaching that. Um, and on the other end, though, in our work, we tend to work a lot with um, with you know CEOs and and board members um, more than the frontline folks, and I can name. You know, I won't name, but I can name in the first time in the 30 years I've been in this space, um, probably 10 organizations that can't fill a CEO role. Hmm. And Send them my way. Send them my way. Well, Adam, I, that's a, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, right? Um, uh, in your business, and I'm curious to hear about that, You, your, your underlying value proposition is that we'll help you solve this problem. And, uh, and, but if it's, if it's, if it, and, and your reputation demands that you do solve it, if you agree to take it on. So, so, I mean, there are organizations out there that, that do similar work to you that are trying to take this on and they're not winning. So it's not just about being, you know, the, the, the better or, or not. There's something else going on besides just that. Um, you know, the, 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 there, there's, and there's some of these are, are fairly substantial organizations that are paying their leaders decently, but the framework into which they're walking into is not one that they see as winnable. You know, they, the board is. And, you know, Vincent, we're seeing that actually. It's really interesting that you went down this path because this is what I'm in the midst of writing my, um, monthly newsletter about for November one. And it's, we're noticing. And I'm trying to figure out why that in the last couple of years, we're not getting the same quality or volume of applicant for not for profit volunteer board positions. Right. And it used to be because I think it's now seven years in a row we've done the um, recruiting for the Calgary Public Library Board. That's just one example. Um, it wasn't that long ago that we would just post it, spread the word, make a few phone calls. And then our biggest challenge was kind of like, you know, we would say to our clients, make sure we put lots of very specific filters because we need an elegant, respectful way to turn people away from a volunteer role. And now, for, for some reason, we are having a heck of a time 
uh, finding folks who want to give back in a volunteer capacity to a not-for-profit board. And, and that has nothing to do with pay. They're not making anything. Right. Um, but it, it didn't used to be a problem. So there is something else going on that's unique to this sector. That's an entirely um, uh, you know, parallel and important conversation um, that I would love to, to dig into. We might even dig into it today. But um, we're seeing that all over the place with campaign volunteers. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I mean, it, as the world changes, so too must strategies to attract, recruit, and retain volunteers. And that's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah. Michelle, I think I, I feel like I'm, I'm look, looking for visual cues here that you might have something to say here um, uh, related to, uh, we were talking about leadership, retention, recruitment, and some challenges around that. Uh, in the nonprofit space, I can't speak for the for-profit space, but yeah, I, I, I mean, we're looking for a human resources manager as well for a nonprofit right now. In the same, and and the challenge I can tell you is the expectations of both management and and the board is they haven't changed, <laughs> and so you know, whereas, and I'll just speak from human resources perspective. You know, we've we've been pretty beat up as a profession over the last three years, and the expectations of what we're supposed to be experts in when nobody's an expert, you know, work from home, work from hybrid, come back to work, you know, what that looks like. That's all been placed squarely on our shoulders for, you know, you should know how to do this. No, none of us really knew. Um, And then, you know, from mental health check-ins, I remember we, we let go uh, during the pandemic by the, by the first six months, we had already let go 2,700 workers that I, I personally was part of either writing the letters or, or crafting the message. And so one of the things that we would do is pick up the phone and just make sure that they were okay, that they had access to EI, that they knew how to do that, that process. And I remember one of those phone calls that I did, um, it was a mom that picked up and said that her son had just tried to commit suicide the night before and that she was sorry. Um, and was there a message that I wanted to pass along, which was totally bizarre in itself, but listening to that, um, that made it really, really difficult. So now one of the things are, is kind of like, you know, we're asking as a profession, we're asking for flexibility. We're asking for a little bit more support. We're asking, you know, don't just, yeah, we're, we're asking for a few more things outside of money. And the same thing in that, in that role, when, when organizations have decided to adopt pre-pandemic mentality, pre-pandemic flexibility, like working from home, and they're saying, no, you have to be here in order to build relationships. Well, we, we are seeing that as hampering. Same thing. I can see with a CEO level position, the expectations from a board perspective may not have changed. And if, if I don't feel supported, um, if I don't feel supported as a CEO from my board to make some significant changes, to take some risks, because that's actually what's needed right now, I can see why I'm going to back away. Um, nonprofits, and maybe not the ones you work with, but some of the ones that we work with, are rooted in legacy ideas and thoughts. And even though a board will change, interchange in and out on a, on a more regular basis, it still seems to be followed too much by risk, you know, risk mitigation, legal obligations. And so you can't, you, you, you know, you're taught or what I hear a lot of is we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. And when you're stuck in a can't, that is the un- unattainable situation that you're now in. Um, and so I don't, I don't blame for change. And then the other side is at the same time too, is the amount of cuts in funding from things like United Way and, you know, um, that's happening right now, I'd be scared too, because you know what's going to happen. We're going into a recession. And from a nonprofit perspective, that typically means layoffs. Um, and in- high inflation typically means layoffs. And so do I want to do this with people I don't know? Or do I want to do this with people I already do know from an empathy perspective? You know, those are all questions that I'm asking right now, too. So it's not a shock to me. But again, it goes beyond the pandemic. It goes beyond um, the great resignation or where the heck are all the workers? I think just priorities have changed. And I think people have learned to understand what their boundaries are and aren't as afraid to state them anymore either. I think that's the big change that I've seen. I think ultimately that will actually be good for all of us. But right now it's causing a lot of lot of angst. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Please share your boundaries. Please don't share your boundaries. 
um, that sort of conversation. So, I mean, uh, we talked about the underlying challenges and we haven't solved all the problems for the world. I've really uh, enjoyed where we've gone with that. We've also talked about, you know, what we think and, and feel about this space. What about, are there some, are there some silver linings? Are there some things that we can really take out of this, this time or things that we, we, we see maybe um, will help us moving forward. Are there some ways through these challenges that we can, we can, we can think about? What are you telling your clients? Well, I, I, I'm, I think there's definitely silver linings um, in in the way we're approaching um, leadership. We 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 have to be so much more intentional and proactive about checking in with our with our people. And um, you know, look, I, we started the podcast by talking about my 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 brief and unspectacular career as a lawyer, uh, and and uh, you know, back then a, a big billable month you know the the 250 hour month was was celebrated um and you know it it, it you would never refer to someone who got uh, burned out or who 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 got sick after like a crazy intense period of work uh you'd never talk about their mental health we're now talking about that and it's absolutely okay and encouraged to do so um I think there are virtues all over the place of hybrid work. Uh, we're, we're, I don't refer to it in my world as work-life balance. I don't think that that's a thing um, because balance is a scale. And balance suggests that if, I, if this goes up, then this has to go down. I, I think of it more as, as work-life integration. And, and the way it works is real simple. You are allowed, employee, to impose your personal life upon my work life. And in return, I'm allowed to impose my work life on your personal life. And we're going to do it respectfully. And we're going to communicate openly. What does that mean? It means you want to go for a run at two o'clock on a beautiful October day, go for it. I'm, this isn't a, a bed check kind of culture. If, if you want to do those things, it's much, much more acceptable than I think it used to be not that long ago because we've all come to learn that, yeah, I'm preheating the oven. I just threw a load of laundry in the laundry machine. I'm running down to a team's call. I'm going to zip over and pick a kid up at school. I'm going to get back, send an email. The oven will be ready. I'll throw the chicken in. They'll put the stuff in the wash and the dryer, send two more emails, get on a quick Zoom call and be there for my family for dinner. And I can do all of that. And I used to have to compartmentalize that in the name of balance because it was one or the other. And now it's all of that. So I think that's a, I actually think that's a virtue and I think that's a silver lining. And I think there are many others, um, but it's incumbent upon the employer and not every industry lends itself to this. I get that. Like we've talked about frontline workers. It's, it's, this is a, this is a first world problem if ever there was one in the workplace, but it is incumbent upon those employers who can do it to be much, much more intentional and less command and control, top down, my way, the highway, because I said so, hierarchy, that that, that does not work anymore. In All right. Opinion. Those are those are great silver linings to think about, Adam. Thank you for those. Michelle. Well, I would just say it is a competitive advantage right now. Like there, there are so many opportunities that if, if people can think about we can't do that or we can do that versus we can't do that. I think they, those organizations are really going to be able to, to climb. I've never been, um, as much as I'm not necessarily always a fan of the United States. One of the things that's really not well known about the U.S. is that vacation, for example, is not mandatory. You do not have to offer paid vacation in the U.S. But the, so those companies that do and treat time off as, as that and that flexibility as that, that becomes their competitive advantage. So it's a really good example. So now how can you do that here? And I think, Adam, you, you, you nailed it too when you talked about it being more of the professional roles. And so we've got to get creative for those frontline roles. We have to stop thinking that everyone's in the same box because it's really, we're in a privileged position to be able to do the laundry and cook and go pick up our kids during the day. And we, and we have to, and yet we're the ones 
who are also being tasked with trying to solve this problem of how do we help those frontline workers? How do we change things in hospitality? And so how do, where do we gain that empathy? But if you, if you can figure this out, that is going to be the thing. And sometimes it might just be a little bit more, there may be pay there, but how you do that, this is that opportunity to really reflect and change the way if we've always done it this way, it's time to stop doing it that way. What else can we do? What are the different ways to do it? And there might be a bit of a disruption um, before it gets better, but that's 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 what I love. And that mm-hmm. is what we've got right now is an opportunity to get ahead. We aren't on a level playing field right now. And, and even the the it, it all starts with leadership because uh, you know Richard Branson has this great quote where he says it's it's not about the client. It's about your people because if you take care of your people, they will take care of the client. And so, and I, and I subscribe to that. I mean, it, it is, um, and in a retail environment, let's say a, a frontline worker who's got a really understanding supervisor and manager and who has that person's back in the face of an unruly, inappropriate customer, that, that manager, that's, that, voice starts at the top. And if that frontline worker knows they're being respected and knows they've got a support system around them and they've got a boss that's going to have their back, even at the expense of a customer, um, that that can trickle down and have, have the same positive effect that you could see in a professional services kind of an environment where it's, it's more tangible. Um, but, you know, if you see a scenario where the, your, your, your boss doesn't have your back, then the client, the unruly client, who are you going to turn to, to, to confront that unruly client when you don't even know if you've got air cover from the people who work with you? So I really think it's about leadership and it's about changing, changing the, the, the tone and it's about empathy. And, and that's a, that I totally agree, Michelle. That is a huge opportunity. And we're seeing that turnover because there's sort of some, some deer in the headlights out there who are trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, doing it the way they've always done it and finding it, it ain't working so good. Well, what I heard today, I'm glad that I mean, unpacked, I, you know, I, I, I named it the, the great resignation, not because I wanted to hang everything on that, <laughs> but I suspected that we would have a great conversation if I did sort of poke that out there and we did. Um, I really like the idea that uh, that we heard that this is not likely a unique event. It's, it's a culmination of a long-term process that's brought us here for a lot of really interesting uh, and not so savory things have been associated with. So I think that's a really interesting observation. I do think that we we most people agree the pandemic certainly sparked a little bit of a, a fire on that. But I'm also hearing this idea that we maybe had a realization that frontline workers, uh, you know, are not in <laughs> we don't that idea that they're not in privileged space. What you know, I I, I think that's really important. And you just mentioned something, Adam, about that would be so antithetical to the customers always right idea that we have. And, and so you know, maybe we need to start pushing back against this crappy leadership we've had from people like Donald Trump and really start to think about some of the stuff like that if we want to actually help out and retain and keep staff. So, I I mean, there's lots there. I'm mindful of time. It's always the case on these podcasts that we could go on for a long time. And I think there's, there's, uh, you know, a 2.0, a 3.0, 4.0 of this topic alone. And, and, and so it's, it's a very important topic. I can tell you already by the caliber of our conversation, um, not my conversation, but your conversation, um, that people are going to love this podcast. They're going to love the content, the conversation. They're going to want to have more conversations about it. Not the only thing going on, but it's actually got something to it. So I appreciate you taking the time and energy, both of you, to do that. Um, I want to thank you for coming, uh, Michelle, Adam. I want to give you an opportunity uh, before we go, uh, a platform, if you will, to share with our audience, uh, you know, 
something that you want them to hear, to listen to, to promote something. Uh, you know, be be mindful that we don't have time travelers. So if you want to talk about something that's happening next week, it might be tough because it's not being published for a few weeks. But maybe um, Michelle will give you the the floor first to uh, to share with our listening audience something that you really want them to take away or something sure. you want to hear. Yeah. So actually, I'm really excited that you're giving me this opportunity. Um, one of the things that I do as well as run a business is try to disrupt HR on a regular basis. Um, and, uh, I am, or my team, I should say, are the people behind disrupt HR in Calgary. We have been silent for the last three years because it is best done as a, uh, in-person event. But we are thrilled that on November 18th, we will be at Platform Calgary and we will be doing a, a new, a new session. And <clears throat> so basically what Disrupt HR is, speakers have five minutes to come up with an innovative idea around HR, how they can blow it up and change the, the way we think about traditional HR. Um, in this case, we have, um, 10 speakers. Uh, Last Best is going to be one of our, is one of our sponsors and providing food and drinks. And again, the, the venue couldn't be a better venue in terms of innovation and disruption. So it's happening at, like I said, um, from five to nine, uh, ticket sales are limited, <laughs> I would say, um, at this time, but there are still a few that are available. Um, and if you want to come and figure out how you could disrupt, and I can guarantee you this very conversation will also be had there that night, um, to come out and check it out and um and I'm, I'm sure if i give you the <clears throat> the website link you can put it up in the show notes or something like that yeah um, we'll, we'll do one better michelle just in terms of time if you send that to me now we'll, we'll put it out into our social feeds and through okay. our networks because it's a great uh, event i'm glad you're able to have it again platform's yeah. a great spot uh client of ours we're happy to see it being used in this way um that's fantastic last best love them so that's fantastic. We'll we'll make sure that all gets timed out. Thanks for sharing that with us. And thanks for everything you do. Adam, today you get the last word. Um, thanks for that. I, I guess I'll rather than maybe refer to a specific event, I'll I'll take a slightly different approach to it, which is, you know, we one of the virtues that has come out of of the pandemic is a, a heightened focus on supporting local. And getting getting um, the obligation we we have as citizens and community members to to support other local uh, enterprises. And while I love my Starbucks, um, I'm a big big believer in in supporting local. We are a locally owned and operated firm. All the causes we support in terms of treasure and time are local causes. Every supplier we work with at our firm very intentionally is a local vendor because we are one too. And in the search world, you know, there is no bachelors of recruitment sciences that you can get. There are no search firms that only hire the best grads from the best recruitment schools because there ain't any. It's about resourcefulness, ethics, hard work. And I have that in spades down the hall, as do my big national and global competitors. So I guess my my plug, my pitch is that in a scenario like that, a, a tie should go to the local enterprise so long as the quality of the product is as good or better. And so long as the cost of that product is competitive. Um, and, and frankly, it can even be a little bit more. I will go and buy a book at the corner bookstore that I could get at a big national chain for a buck cheaper and pay that extra dollar to support that local bookstore. And, and I would, I would ask our clients in our community to do the same. So, um, thank you for the soapbox. It's one that I rarely, uh, refuse the opportunity to hop up upon and, um, Thanks again, Vincent, for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Well, I mean, both of you just articulated this, this, uh, the, the issues and the challenges so great. Um, both of your firms, I'm very proud to talk about a lot. Uh, I highly recommend Elevate, uh, and I often talk about, uh, McCarthy and Co., how important that is, um, to, as, as a, as a local enterprise. So I'm glad that you both gave those talks about that. And I encourage people to go there. Um, with that, and I want to say thank you again. 
our, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you'll join us next month for our second installment of our Legends of Fundraising series, where I spend an hour talking with the chairman of Carter and former AFP Global Chair, Bob Carter. It is an amazing and inspiring hour that was recorded in the middle of the pandemic. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Betrayo and is produced by Julie Kahn, Trisha Vole, and me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at betrayogroup.ca. You can listen and subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes and Spotify or by visiting our website at betrayogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, and hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.